banked it around, back to the net to the far side. Lundell back around, around in front, they score! This game could have gone either way here tonight. Obviously, it's a missed opportunity for us here, just like A2, a missed opportunity. Those things add up, and now you have no margin for error. Hey, everybody, fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and Sportsnet 360. I'm Ben Ennis. Monkey's paw, right? Hey, Leafs win a playoff series. First time they did that in 19 years. So you got that done. Uh, then go three games without a single goal from the core four to trail the Florida Panthers. Three games to none. Justin Bourne of Real Kipper and Bourne and Leafs talk. Uh, kind <laughs> enough to, to stick around for the, the first segment. How's it going? Uh, <laughs> I've had better days. I do blame the people who laid awake at night during the first round and said, just give us one. Mm-hmm. Just give us one, Lord, and I'll never ask for another thing. And then you got one, and now you want more. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I, I blame myself also a little I bit. I also blame you. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> We're on the same page. Um, because I thought we'd be able to talk about this team in normal terms after the series victory right that this was now just like a normal team talk hockey yeah it's just about the hockey and and there's some hockey to this but there's so much and you wrote about it uh in a great article on sportsnet.ca today on the brink again do toronto's core four still believe in their uh, in themselves um there's so much of of what we've seen now for the better part of a decade Mm. that goes beyond like Hockey, honestly, or, or or the numbers, the quantifiable part of hockey. Yeah. And I, I have difficulty discussing that or figuring that out. Yeah. You know, it's when I first started covering hockey, uh, 2007, eight, whatever it is, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. it was a lot of narrative coverage about grit and heart and intangibles. Then yeah. numbers kind of worked their way in. We started doing things more analytically. It became almost faux pas to like talk about that's heart. It. Yeah. You know, there's actually, you know, that's like a thing. It's like, I don't want to hear about heart, just right. heart over chart. Anyway, eh, you can't, you can't talk about sports without, you know, people who rise to the moment and are clutch and people who fade in the spotlight and people who don't have, the jam or competitiveness or whatever. And that's where we are again with this Leafs core is talking about intangibles and do they have the, when the going gets tough, why do they seem to go away? I know they didn't in the first round, yeah. but this looks awfully familiar to previous eliminations past. Yeah, it does. Um, okay. So, so let's, let's, let's go there then. Um, because there's, yeah, okay. Could they come back? Could they win the series? Could they become the fifth team in NHL history to pull off the 3 comeback? Would that actually be kind of fitting? Did I say on Friday it's kind of what you need to do to break a, a curse as long as 1967 <laughs> without a Stanley Cup? Is it what the 2004 Red Sox did? Yes. I mean, that's on the table, I suppose. They'd have to look a lot different than they looked yesterday. No one wants to be the person to suggest it's possible. Uh, I... Again, like I, they've they've surprised me before. Yeah. Um, I expect a, a a different effort on Wednesday. I mean, the, the 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 range of possibilities is is wide, I suppose. And yeah, I guess this this could all be old takes exposed. I, I'd be surprised yeah. considering what we watched for for sixty plus minutes yesterday. But this is we, we've seen. It's not just the sixty plus minutes yesterday, right? Right. Like it's the better part of a decade. Like yeah. I said, seventh postseason, and and you've talked about hey going out at the deadline and, and getting those guys that have the thing that these guys might not have and the Ryan O'Reilly types, 
um, and trying to staple it, I think, is, is mm. what, you, what you've talked about. Staple it to the core right. to see if that works by, like, osmosis, if they can just <laughs> learn from the guys. I don't know. It, it obviously hasn't worked. But when we talk about the potential massive changes that yeah. are coming this offseason, don't you need to have, like, your best players with that, right? Like, you can't just have some mm. ancillary guy, even a guy that, that, that is maybe more than ancillary and... and Ryan O'Reilly is is past his prime, but he's is not cooked by any stretch no. of the imagination. But like, hey, if you had prime Ryan O'Reilly, the guy that actually won the con Smythe, that that would actually be a lot different than this version of of Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, you know, I think what's so hard in that conversation is like guys who don't have guys, elite scorers who don't have that fu to their game have won Stanley Cups. Like, Phil Kessel was that guy here where everyone's yeah. like, you can't win with that guy. He's your best player, one of your best players. He went to Pittsburgh and, frankly, got robbed of a con Smythe. You know, yeah. he was a exceptionally good playoff performer, wins two Cups. Jay Bomeister, oh, he's passive, he's meek, he can't get in the playoffs. He gets in the playoffs, he wins a Stanley Cup. And all of a sudden, that narrative changes. You can put these guys, all sorts of players, in situations where they have success. The Leafs' core is just too many of them. Yeah, You know, like it, you need someone to drag those guys through. And I I think the criticism is that none of them are the drag you through guys. I think Austin Matthews is, I think I, you know, of the four, but you know, he's only been so effective. You know, you know, what's so difficult about this conversation because you, you do, you, you border on talking personal accusations. That's it. Like it's a moral failing or two that it's like an effort thing, which like, I, I don't, I, no I, one's not trying. Right. So what is that thing, right? And and you're right. The uh, the idea of blow it all up and send all four to the moon, mm-hmm. uh, the, yeah, it, the, those guys are probably, I mean, especially the younger ones, maybe not John Tavares because he's going to be a leap for uh, the duration, has that no-move clause. Likely. Uh, and that's that's it. But, like, if Austin Matthews moves off of the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, if Mitch Marner moves yeah. off of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the idea that they could have playoff success, like, it, it's, it's a very real yeah. possibility but that so what you're you're saying about like they can exist on winning teams playoff teams that can have success as long as there's other i don't know drivers like, i think so the example in my article sorry to interrupt yes yeah go ahead the article i wrote today i included you know think about seeing the borderline obsession a guy like Nathan McKinnon would have to, mm-hmm. you know, freaking out on a ref, throwing a helmet at a guy, like yeah. making his teammates eat chickpea pasta, obsessed with winning. Sidney yeah. Crosby damn near killed Claude Giroux the one year they went head to head. You know, he's hitting guys below the belt. He did anything to win. You know, I think Connor McDavid freaking out on the bench at his guys, whatever. These guys that have this, like, Come with me. If we lose, I'm going to kill myself. No, see, see that that does make it. It's freakish. It, 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 I know, and it it sounds despair. Like I guess this whole conversation is disparaging to the core. Matthews four guys. is normal. He's yeah. not a freak like yeah. these other winning obsessed freaks. But that's in sports. You want to have that. Okay. And uh, all right. So now let's talk about Kyle Dubas because mm-hmm. he 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 banked on those four guys, and I, I know. Maybe people aren't today waking up and saying, hey, I wouldn't have done that. I And and in the moment said, hey, we can and we will. Maybe you can, but you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But I think most people, I mean, who you, you pull smart hockey people and you just show them. Keep your good players. The, like, and and to add to that, the additions that he's made, including the additions at this deadline. Sam Lafferty, like one of the best league players yesterday. He was wonderful. 
acquired at the deadline. Eric Gustafson is not playing every game, but like scores the goal and he's a wild ride on uh, both ends of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 hard to come down as too critical on him because who mm. wouldn't have made the, the same decision with four very good hockey players? Well, you know, I think people. I think there are people okay. who have said that this it's not just playing the results done. then. No, I don't think so. I so for me, and I've said this to several people, I would have kept the core four for another run this year too. Yeah. It's hard to get the elite players who break games open, who make the difference, the difference makers. Mm-hmm. I would have, because I believe they're that. Now, this is five games in a row. They've only scored twice. Mm-hmm. Those guys haven't been difference makers. So the bet that he's made that's been wrong is that maybe they're not all difference makers you know, come playoff time. But I love the idea of giving those guys a chance and building around it. Now, there are a lot of people who wouldn't have said, Nylander's gone. You got to move on from Marner or whatever. But Dubas, I think the boldest thing he did was say, we're keeping Nylander. We're mm. keeping these guys and we believe in them. In the end, it's wrong. And you got to pay the consequences when you're wrong and it's a results-based business. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is, well, for Nylander... Marner, Matthews. This is their. This is the first team. This is the first time they've gone through. Now, not the first season, but the first series of seasons yeah. in which they've gone through the postseason. So, in that regard, maybe I give Duba some leeway because he had never seen it before. And and okay, there there were mitigating factors in previous playoff failures. Maybe you can say there wasn't. Like maybe maybe you can say losing in five games to the Columbus Blue Jackets should have been it. But like man, the weirdness of some of the hockey that we yeah. saw over that the those two years and. That was honestly a, a hockey team that Dubas didn't obviously believe all that much in as he was trying to sell off uh, Tyson Berry to anyone that would bite at the deadline, right. and there were no biters. Um, but, yeah, to me, didn't you need to – I mean, this kind of does feel like the natural conclusion that we can't go back and say you should have done this a year earlier, you should have pulled the Band-Aid off. They were – honestly, I think they're getting worse because, like, in the seven games against the Lightning last year, I thought they, they were – a lot better than the six games against the Lightning mm-hmm. this season. Didn't you need to see that to finally say, man, this is the breaking point? And, and part of it is now contractual obligation that you have extensions due or potential extensions yeah. to, to, to Nylander and Matthews, that this makes it now the time. It's funny because, you know, when they won that series against Tampa Bay, the thing that changed was like a lot of people were sick of hearing process for the Leafs, right? Like, they were the better team against Tampa Bay. They were the better team than Montreal. They were better than Columbus. They didn't get results. They got unlucky. Stick with it, and it'll pay off. So in the first round, when they beat Tampa Bay and they weren't the better team, Mm -hmm. I think that was people saying, look, they're different. They're they're playing a playoff style of hockey now. This is a different brand of Leafs team. They figured it out. You know, so they're... There were people believing in the intangible aspect of it. And now that that intangible aspect is, oh, they're still getting outplayed Mm -hmm. and it's not coming through. Now, the reason you're seeing people turn so sharply is you're not outplaying the team and you're losing. Yeah. I mean, but to be fair, they did outplay them for large stretches of games one and two. Two in particular. They were far superior. Yeah. And, and. The Panthers got you better goal. They, they've run out of runway to sell process to anyone. Well, and and to add on to that, it's it's all well and good to look like the better team. They should look way better than the Panthers every single night for sixty minutes. Yeah. And you know what happens when you do that? By and large, you win the series over right. seven games, right? Like I I was talking in the, the newsroom that that Capitals team that got goalied by Yarrow Halak and mm-hmm. the Canadians. Like there's there's series like that where a goalie's a freak, and you're like, hey. It's, 
But, he did it. Yeah, but that went seven games, right? And yeah. we were look back at that. Like, even go back to last year, Jake Ottinger almost stealing a series away from Calgary, right? Mm-hmm. But they, they, they came through. They eventually right. did beat him, right? right? That this is not supposed to be a team that looks good for a round. They're supposed to look like a Stanley Cup contender in every round. Yeah. And, like, how many times... Have they laid out a 60-minute stretch where you're like, that looks like a Stanley Cup contender over the last seven years? Yeah, I mean, it's happened when they've lost in the past, Maury. I think you've seen better stretches, you know, again, whether it's against the Canadians or whatever. But, yeah, not enough, I think, is a fair conclusion. That, you know, it's just the way they're they're built right now is, you know, the puzzle pieces don't really fit, Ben. Yeah. Like, you look at the the lineup and you go... Okay, you know, Brody and McCabe are a shutdown pair, but you don't really trust McCabe all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, your top six is kind of, we're not really sure what the best iteration of it. Like, they're mm-hmm. they're mixing and matching lines and pairs still. They got a lot of good players, but they just can't seem to find a construction where they do the thing you're talking about, where they consistently look better than teams they finish above in the regular season. Okay, so the mixing and matching, that's a coaching thing, right? This is a, this is a head coach that's had great, great regular season success i think like one of the highest winning percentages yeah. in the regular season uh, all time in in toronto maple leafs regular season history in sheldon keep he's been part of the the routine playoff failures of this group um is it possible like that that it's just like a head like can a head coach be that important to to mixing up the pieces and finding the right chemistry and yeah. and you know turning good regular season players into good postseason players the thing is, like, I don't see Keith missing things where I'm like, that was awful. You know, like, I know how hard he works for my time working with him. I know how prepared and thorough he is. You know, I, I watched the line construction, the usage of the players. Like, it's all pretty good. You know, like, like, I thought last game they made a really nice adjustment. Start of the game, you know, Florida's D pinched down the walls. So they started going off the glass past those guys. Stretch passes. All of a sudden, it's two-on-one Matthews to start the game. Two-on-one uh, camp to Lafferty. They, they got all man rushes on a coaching adjustment. Now, Florida kind of capped that. They, they made some changes themselves throughout the game. But, like, he's done good things. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you can look at this team and say, were there a different coach there? They'd have vastly different results. At the end of the day, it's, you know, you need the people to come through. Yeah, I, I do. The thing is, when 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 it happens the way it's happened for the better part of this decade, like, the stupid stuff, like, the the, the like... The 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 bad fan brain thing starts to happen yeah. where you're like, there's nothing to back this up, but like I need an explanation. I just need something different too. People want to like see change for change's sake. Yeah, but uh, like in in regards to the Sheldon Keefe thing, because okay. I I go back to the regular season and like him criticizing the court. Remember the Arizona game where mm-hmm. it was like the season was going off the rails and he was going to be the first coach fired because this is a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. They're losing to Arizona. They're blowing leads at home, and yeah. and Mitch Marner is getting on the on the fans, and then they obviously bounce back. But like there was a, a real back and forth there, where mm-hmm. I think he rightly criticized. It didn't even. It was like the softest criticism I, ever. I know of the core players. It was like, hey, when we have good players, like they need to be good, and they weren't good enough. Which, hey, guess what? When you have good players against a, a team that finished twenty points below you during the regular season and postseason series. Yeah. And they haven't scored in three games. They need to be better. We didn't hear any of that. Now, it's different coaching in the playoffs. Like, whatever you think is going to motivate your players to have success, like, you got to live in the moment. I understand that. But I don't know. That is ringing a little bit in my head that this is a a group that got a head coach Mm -hmm. fired and and Mike Babcock because he was a little 
little too rough on him. Um, and this guy, in brief moments, has had moments where, like, he just barely wanted to criticize him, and he's been rebuffed. I, I couldn't agree with what you're discussing more here. Like, I think that, you know, in particular, I think the Marner camp is pervasive throughout Toronto. They're, they're sensitive. You know, if you hear something bad is written or whatever. Like there's a real pushback from people around there. I think sometimes, mm. um, I think there's a sensitivity and some egos involved with the, the best players, not just him, but I think all of them, you know, I, I said on our show today, I kind of feel like a little bit with, with Sheldon Keith, there's like substitute teacher vibes for them where like they were there before him. Right. They were the dressing room culture. He came in as like the new guy and it's like tough as the new guy to be like, and now there's new <laughs> rules. And everyone's like, no, there's not. It's <laughs> like, well, all right. You know, like to me when that mm-hmm. happened this year and he was critical, the big mistake is coming back the next day and going, ah, I was out of line. I shouldn't have said what I said. It's like, no, you're the guy. Dude. They work for you. I know. You know, and so I think you lose authority like me as a parent, you know, like well, walking stuff I mean, back and with and my it, kids. Especially when it's not like good. You're, you're, it's your first kick of the can as a National Hockey League head coach, right? Like, and you don't have this wealth of experience. There's no cup rings on your fingers. What are, you're for not, sure. You're not getting yeah, you paid like the best like head coach. They're like, yo, listen, this guy, he's done it. Like, they're all like, what? Yeah. The new guy's going to tell us what to do? I've yeah. won my whole life. No. I, I wouldn't say that he's the number one issue, but yeah, it's... it's, it's I, it, I, I think he's a great coach. Mm-hmm. I do think that relationship-wise with the core, there's something bit, funky there. A little bit funky. Uh, so now that you brought up Mitch Marner, um, in your piece, you, you mentioned his dumping rate has uh, gone from 31.8% to 37.3% during the postseason, um, just like straight up. Does he look like a guy that's afraid of getting hit? Boy, I don't know. He seems really rushed. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't see him skating like I see him in the regular season. So I also, in that piece, his dump in, uh, the rate at which he dumps the puck in is up a lot, but the mm-hmm. w- rate at which they recover pucks is like 19% in the playoffs and 45 in the regular season. Like, he usually puts it in good spots. He's mm-hmm. smart with it. Everything seems rushed to me. Remember, he used to flip it over the glass all the yeah, time. I do. And, and, and now this is like he gets on a stick, and instead of going and controlling play, it's just like, ugh, someone else deal with this thing, and it hasn't gone well for him. So that to me is like people can see what they want to see on that for why, but that is a stylistic thing he is doing numerically. Mm-hmm. That is a problem for them, is he's not playing the same way. There's been some interesting stats with him throughout the playoffs. You know, uh, I think it was Rachel Dory had a stat that he's had five, four high danger chances in the playoffs this year, which is like, you know, among forwards, like 45th among forwards, you know, just playing a very perimeter rushed game. And, you know, it shows, right? He's had no goals in seven games and one assist in this series. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's all very bad. Not good. He's a good player. So good. And he plays like elite. uh, Like, and he does things that the other core four guys don't do. Kills penalties. Kipper calls him the engine on our team, on our show all the time, because he he does. He can control the play. Now, and he's a homegrown kid, and he's a hundred point a year player. He also has a a no-move clause that kicks in July 1st, when there's a bunch of decisions that have to be made for this team. Um, And he's on a big ticket, right? Like, he's... Boy, you, you sure do free up some stuff. You're, you're paying for every bit you get. Right. For you sure. are. Yeah, you're, you're not getting a, a discount by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it, Tavares isn't going anywhere, like I said. Also makes $11 bucks, but yeah, 
he's also yeah. he's not agreeing to waive his no move clause. Uh, Nylander's underpaid for what he provides yes. numerically, and yeah. in the postseason he's popped. A co- interestingly, popped after he's been critically. Uh, he's been criticized, at least by the media. He's so good after being criticized. He, he sure is. And Austin Matthews is a 60-goal scorer. Yeah. Like, if if you are looking at one guy, like, you want to talk about a shakeup, like, that's, it's hard not to think about him being the guy. It's just tough to imagine your team getting better. No, but here's the thing. You're not trading good players away. For nothing. And, and no, no, but you're not trading them away and getting better. Like, I think whatever trade they make... Like, I know this is not a, hey, make a trade for the sh- uh, for the sake of, of making a trade. I mean, maybe it's akin to that. Like, it's it's closer to that. Yeah. But, like, I don't think there's a trade that you make of these four guys, and uh, let's call it three because, again, Tavares isn't going anywhere, where you look on paper and you're like, oh, yeah, that was value. Like, yeah. we got oh, – you can see the – what we got the five pieces that add up to more – it's just not happening, Justin. Yeah. Like, I just – I don't – see it happening what what is the trade where you get a a 100 point player who can play 22 minutes a game who can kill penalties who who when he's going great looks as dynamic as as marner does it's just not gonna happen and i would have such fear such fear so i can never do it of him be doing the kessel thing where all of a sudden he's a con Smythe winner for colorado next year you know like i can see that he's justin if there was no if there was no salary cap like yeah you you, that fear would keep you from trading you would just pile more you would pay whatever it took to get the the like prime ryan o'reilly's to, to be part of, you'd call it the core five or whatever. You yeah. get the, the good players who are in their prime, who are producing, right. who are the actual leaders of this, not like the Joe Thorntons or, or like guys that are well past being good, but that we do exist in a salary cap world. I, I, to me, like thinking about it, it's, it's the only move that, that, that makes the most it, sense. It's probably in the end, it's probably Nylander, like just because he is the the guy for some reason you're allowed to give it to willie you know Mm -hmm. his he's allowed to take the the abuse i i see him as you know he's not one of the highest paid guys he's scored 40 and has value in a trade where you don't have to attach something to him and probably get something good back you know i I just it feels like if you're gonna make a change he's the easiest one to trade yeah whoever it is is gonna be a scapegoat though right like it's gonna be like it was all that no no you're like getting worse (laughs) (laughs) because someone has to go but you know you look at florida that's gonna be what people are gonna point to and they say Mm -hmm. you say they won the president's trophy they traded a 115 point guy Mm -hmm. and a good defenseman a top pair guy yeah and they're better they didn't get as many points but they're more effective in the playoffs that's what people are going to point to for the leafs it's too recent and too close for people to miss that connection no it's true um before i let you go so I've been a fan of what Kyle Dubas has done. I think he's learned some lessons, and I think like his approach at the deadline has changed over the years as well. Like, yeah. I, I think he understands the the intangible part. And I think he 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 rightly was was yeah. was probably concerned about that lacking whatever it was in the core, and did his best with the Ryan O'Reillys of the world. Maybe he doesn't want to come back. Like this That's is a, guy- a fascinating frame. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean. Your guy Nick Kiprios talked about how he may have turned down a contract extension during the course of this mm-hmm. regular season, maybe lowballed and and bet on himself, hoping that a a postseason run would would up that number and that he the fan base wouldn't allow him to leave. Now, obviously, that that tenor changes yeah. if you go out meekly to the Florida Panthers. But hey, maybe you do look at at 
at the, the decisions that have to be made here and say, nah, not for me. You know, I, it's funny, too, because while we're talking about the Florida connection, I can't remember anyone walking away from a good thing quite like Paul Maurice in Winnipeg just being like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> right. Like, like, what's the problem? He's like, I just, ah, it's not for me. You should leave. He's like, yeah, I'm just going home. And it's like, okay. You know, like that could be Dubas here where he's like, I don't really believe in the core. I yeah. kind of give up on this. I'm going to go try somewhere else. You know, and Maurice having success here, you know, is relevant. Mm-hmm. I do think Kyle Dubas, Ontario kid, kids growing up in Ontario, mm. you know, this has been the dream for him to be the GM of the Leafs and to win a Stanley Cup. He wants to be here, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day. He doesn't want to go somewhere else. I, you know, this affects his number a great deal. I think, yeah, it's fascinating because I have no idea what the board thinks and Shanahan thinks and whatever. You know, there are rumors of tension with him and Shanahan. Mm. I could not tell you what the likelihood of Kyle Dubas coming back is. Probably is 50-50 fun? No, but that's kind of where I'm at. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, sometimes the most logical answer is not the most fun. No. That's okay. That's not as bad sports talk radio. It's him. (laughs) Does he come back? Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> Your guess is as good Wait as mine. <laughs> All right, Borny. Uh, thanks for sticking around, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, bud. All right, Justin Bourne, real kipper and Bourne, and Leafs talk as well. When we come back, uh, more Leafs talk with uh, Sean McKindo. You know him as Down Goes Brown as uh, he joins me next. Fan drive time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I am Ben Ennis. We're also on Sportsnet 360. So if you haven't heard, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs down three games to none to the Florida Panthers. And, uh, oh, joy, you get to wait an extra day to see if they uh, are summarily swept in the first round or if they prolong your pain even further. Uh, Game four goes on Wednesday night in Sunrise, Florida. Let's talk to Sean McIndoo. Uh, You know him as Down Goes Brown, hockey writer for The Athletic, noted Leafs fan. How's it going, Sean? Uh, I've been better. Uh, the, the noted Leafs fan part has not added up to a uh, particularly great 24 hours, but I'm I'm hanging in there. Uh, no, it's it's not. It hasn't been a great 24 hours. It hasn't been a, a great like seven years. It hasn't been a great like you know five decades. All right, so let, let me let me lay it out here. Uh, is this the darkest timeline, longest Stanley Cup drought in the NHL? But you win the lottery when there was a generational talent available, and he scores four goals. In his first ever game, you lose it in overtime. Uh, but you then, in that same season, barely make the playoffs, but you push the President's Trophy champs to six games. Uh, then you win five consecutive winner-take-all series-deciding games. Eventually, you do snap an 11-game losing streak in potential series-clinching games, only to watch your four $40 million forwards go goalless in a potential four-game sweep with massive changes coming, uh, Sean, did did I miss anything? And is that the darkest timeline? I mean, you, you missed the Zamboni driver, right. but other than Sorry. that, I think you pretty much got it. And yeah, this is—it's careful what you wish for, right? I mean, as Leaf fans, we've been saying, please, please, just once, one time, let us see what these guys can do in round two. Well, we're we're seeing what they can do in round two right now, and maybe we we should have been a little bit more careful how we phrase that particular wish. 
Yeah, and you're a smart guy, Sean. You're you're a great follow on Twitter, and I I really enjoy your hockey insights. Um, but this is. Hey, you know what? I can't decide. Is this a baffling team to talk about, or is this a very simple analysis of what's happened here the last seven years? I mean, I, I don't think it's simple. It's uh, I, I would certainly lean more towards the baffling side of it. Not in terms of the results. I know there's people out there, you know, especially if you're not a Leafs fan, you'd say, no, this is this is a very easy team to predict. You know, this is this is what keeps happening. What did you think uh, was was going to be the outcome? But I mean, look, you you look at the talent that's here, and clearly the results do not match what has been put together. And even if you don't buy that. Okay, fine. Take a step back. Look at the rest of the NHL. Yeah. Look at how many upsets happen. Look at how much randomness and and how many series where some goalie gets hot or something weird happens, and it just feels like there's no certainty. There's nothing in the NHL that you can ever predict. I mean, geez, we got the Seattle Kraken uh, looking like they might go on to round three. Uh, in addition to what the Panthers are doing, it, it just feels like. Everything in the NHL, you could take the biggest favorite, the best team in the league, you could put them up against the worst team, and it's maybe 60-40 at the absolute best, unless it's the Toronto Maple Leafs playing. That's the one thing where it feels like it's predictable. And, yeah, I absolutely think as a fan, you're sitting there just going, you know, first of all, what the heck is going on? And second, what did we all do to deserve this? Yeah, yeah, definitely the the second part. I mean, also, I mean, you you look around – the rest of the postseason series and and Leaf fans, I implore you to do this uh, to look uh, and 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 you know see what actual Stanley Cup contenders look like and and what they look like when they can't be denied and and when they're when they're pushed into places where they don't technically need a win like uh, down 2-0 but like pretty much need a win like the Maple Leafs needed yesterday and what those sixty minutes of hockey look like like your the Oilers. On on Saturday, Sean, that's it. Like, how many times over the last seven years have you seen this Leafs team look like it was a Stanley Cup contender? I mean, we have been waiting literally seven years to see one of this core four, uh, one of these superstars do what Leon Dreisaitl is doing in Edmonton right now. Uh, and I'm not talking about the exact goal totals because, I mean, he's he's making history with, with what yeah. he's doing. But that's sort of, hey, get on my back. I am the best player in this series. I will exert my will, and I am going to make sure that we win a few of these games. And and we haven't seen that. And look, Leon is a great player. Might very well be the second best player in the whole world. Sure seems like he's making a, a strong case for that behind Connor McDavid. Um, but, you know, you, you look around, and, and again, I mean, it's it's the playoffs and things happen, and, and, you know, we all understand that. But even as a Leafs fan, you're looking at uh, Leon Dreisaitl, you want to say, okay, well, you know what, none of the Leafs players are better than that guy. Or, okay, maybe that's true. But then you look at New Jersey, same situation, right? Down 2 nothing, and it's Jack Hughes. Yeah. Comes out with a big four-point game. You know, he has the big game that, again, none of these Leafs stars ever seems to have uh, at the moment when you need it from them. And it's, uh, you know, uh, again, you just get back to that that word that you use, that word that Sheldon Keithley seems to, to keep wanting to use. It's baffling. Yeah, so... I mean, we're we're talking about four guys, but I think when when we're talking about the best player and, you, and you're making comparisons to Drysaddle, we're talking about one guy, and it's Austin Matthews, right? He's a 60 goal scorer, he's a Hart Trophy winner, 
Um, he's had moments, and yeah, okay. That's it's all well and good. Uh, he scored a couple of times in that big third period comeback in what uh, game four uh, against the, the the Tampa Bay Lightning. That that's cool. But yeah, I, I I think when we're talking about changing something about this team going forward, and 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 your your best player not looking like your best player in the most pivotal moments, how much of the conversation should should center around Austin Matthews? I mean, he's he's the guy where it starts. You're right because he is he's the best player. Uh, he's the guy that the uh, the lineup is built around. And, and you're right. He did ha- in that comeback game where he had the two goals and when they were down four one. You know that that was as close as we've seen to what I was describing there, where it's one of the great players takes over and uh, and turns the tide in the game. Um, and and we just haven't seen it at all since from any of these guys. And uh, you know Austin Matthews. Yeah, last night he had the hit the crossbar twenty seconds in. Um, you know, I, I guess you count that as uh, as coming close. But I mean, really, so far in this series, the defining moments for us, Matthews, have been a couple of those bad turnovers. Right? He tries to do the little puck flip to himself in uh, uh, at the at the blue line, uh, and uh, that turns into a goal in Toronto, and uh, it it's, uh, ends up being the goal that turns the game around in the Panthers' favor. And then last night again, the little one-handed poke. You know, nice fancy plays and plays that he. He makes all the time because he's a supremely skilled guy, but you just uh, can't always try that in the playoffs, or at the very least, if you try it in the playoffs and it doesn't work, it looks awful, and everybody remembers it, and uh, that seems to be what's happening here again, and, uh, you know, it, it starts with him. He's certainly not the only one. I mean, the, the, the whole core four forwards have largely disappeared. I mean, William Nylander is, is at least visible out there. At least you notice him, um, even though the results aren't really there, but, uh, you know, again, I I don't know if it's the psychology. I don't know if there is something about the the deployment or who these players are that makes them easier to neutralize in these big moments when coaches on the other side can focus on them and and really game plan for them. Um, I don't know what it is. I wish I did. I'd uh, I'd probably get a nice big uh, high-paying consultant job with with the Maple Leafs if I did know. Yeah, if you could extract it from people. Uh, and I guess less so if you could just identify it because uh, we could have saved some time there uh, <laughs> that, that we could have identified uh, which Toronto Maple Leafs didn't have whatever it takes to to up their game in the postseason. Where are you on the, on the body language stuff? Because, hey, um, this is I mean, even going beyond body language, um, there is the, the on the bench, like seeming upset when you're losing a game or or seeming like. You're energized because you feel it's it's your responsibility to change the 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 tide of the hockey game. But there's also the, the I don't want to say just the scrumming part, but like the idea of some physical pushback that this is a team that at times has not had that. And I mean, we we saw the seemingly the most important forward on this team get concussed in Matthew Nyes um, by Sam Bennett uh, in, in game one of the series, and there was like. Not that you need to take somebody's head off, but that there was like that was not a thing that was at all an issue on the ice. Uh, also, Sam Bennett, you know, cross-checking uh, again a, a core member of of your team in the neck uh, before he cross-checked him in the back. I got, where are you on with the body language and and the stuff outside of body language, which is you know seeming physically engaged or like you care, honestly, Sean. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's always tough. I, I've never been a big body language guy because so often, you know, when you see that, when you see somebody doing the big smash in the stick or, you know, they're having the temperature on the bench, it, it feels like an act sometimes, yeah. you know. Sometimes it, it, it and you turn around and you go, hey, you know, where is that on the ice? Um, and, and it hasn't been there on the ice for the Leafs in this series. And, and frankly, it, it hasn't been there most of the time. There, there were some moments in the Tampa series where there was that pushback. We saw even Austin Matthews dropping the gloves. He'd never done that before. Uh, you know, you, you saw it a little bit. Oh, there. come on. <laughs> he was. I mean, he had no choice. He was being punched in the head and like at the last possible I second, I guess the gloves I'm came to be off. positive here, all right? He did. I don't even know if he did drop the gloves. No, I don't think I so. Think about it, but he, did, he got the fight. He dropped the so, sticks yeah, we'll, that he was cleaning up, though. That's for sure. Exactly. And, but I mean, look, this, this isn't who this team is. Um, you know, when you look at it, and I've, I've, I've talked about this before, like, I'm, I'm old, man. I, I grew up on the Dougie Gilmore, Wendell Clark teams. And, you know, even if you're not old like me, you remember back to, you know, guys like Darcy Tucker, the Gary Roberts and that sort of thing. And, and that just isn't, isn't what this team is as far as the core guys. I mean, even when things are going good, Austin Matthews is a low-key guy. He, he isn't uh, somebody that, uh, you know, where, where he wears the emotions on the sleeves. Uh, Mitch Marner's kind of the same way. I mean, John Tavares is, is just the same thousand-yard stare, whether things are going terrible or going great. Um, I, I really think, and this is kind of a weird theory, but I think that's why it resonated so much with Leaf fans in the Tampa series when they saw Kyle Dubas throwing water bottles around and, and talking trash to fans and pumping the fans and all that stuff. Because it feels like he's the only one who really puts that vibe out there. Everybody else on this team is just trying so hard to be calm. And, and look, when you're psychologically maybe fragile would be uh, is a tough word, but maybe it's the right word. Uh, you know, maybe you don't want to be doing that. Maybe if uh, as soon as Austin Matthews starts acting that way, we all point at him and go, oh, look, he's panicking, he's cracking. This isn't what the Leafs are. It's tough. I mean, at the end of the day, this stuff, when you're losing, it's always going to look bad. And when you're winning, you can always find something that you like. No, I'm glad you brought up the Dubas thing because that, that was awesome. I, I've enjoyed him chucking water bottles when it's not going well as well. Um, so, yeah, he's he's going to be one of the top storylines at the conclusion of this postseason, whether it happens on Wednesday or not. Do you trust Kyle Dubas to do whatever is necessary, whatever big move is to come? Because, I mean, he's had opportunities in the past and he has, he has punted on it. Like, if, if it were up to you, would he be retained to, to, to fix whatever has has failed this team over the last seven years? You know, I like Kyle Dubas a lot. I, I really do. I think he's a he's a real smart guy, a good GM, um, and, and you know, he's a hockey lifer, too. People act like he's some sort of analytics nerd who, who doesn't look up from his spreadsheet, and that's that's not who he is. I'm, I'm a big fan of his, and like I say, I've been around as a Leaf fan long enough. I know what it's like to have a bad GM. And uh, I know how uh, how awful that can be, and, and that's not what this is. Uh, whether he comes back or not, man, I, I don't know. It's it's a tough call. Obviously, it's to some degree his call because he doesn't even have the contract. He right. may decide he wants to go somewhere else. All I would say is this. When or if Kyle Dubas does that post-series press conference, after the Leafs have lost this series, assuming they do, if it's him and if he's up there with an extension or with a new mandate, I, I'm okay with that. As long as I do not hear that same speech that we have heard year after year about how we're going to run it back, we trust the plan, 
everything's fine, and just preemptively closing the door on doing anything big and bold during the offseason, doing anything with the core players, uh, any of that stuff. And and I, I hope, uh, like, look, I'm like a lot of Leaf fans. Two years ago when they lost to Montreal, I said, well, they gotta they got to make big changes now. And they didn't. And to some extent, at least in the regular season, it worked. And then last year when they lost to Tampa, I was kind of sitting there thinking, oh, they got to do it now. And, and a lot of people said, no, 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 wait a second, it's different now. This, uh, for some reason, that loss to Tampa last year, people said that was different. They got respect in the handshake line. You don't remember, Sean? Respect in the handshake line, exactly. Yeah. So we, we ran it back again, and now here we are again. I mean, they can't possibly do it again, especially, and, and I mean, here's the hockey gods serving up the lesson on a platter, right? Especially mm-hmm. if they lose to the Florida Panthers, because what happened with the Florida Panthers last year? Yeah. Great season. President's Trophy winning season. Better regular season than the, this Leafs team has ever had. They go out. They win a playoff round. Snap their playoff drought. They had an even longer one than the Leafs. They went and won it. And then they get swept in the second round. Well, what did they do? Did they run it back? Did they say, hey, we're not going to make any changes? No. They changed their coach. And they made the biggest trade in an offseason that we have seen in the last few years. And they went out and they won that trade. But they didn't trade you know, first-round picks and prospects, and that was it. They traded key pieces of their core for something and somebody they identified that would make them better, and it did make them better, not so much in the regular season, but it made them a much better playoff team, and they're getting that success now. I mean, if you want to compare and contrast the two approaches between, hey, we're not even going to think about it versus, hey, uh, our door is open and we're willing to do something big and bold, Panthers chose big and bold, the Leafs always seem to want to shut the door on it, and now we're going to see which one of those approaches works best in the playoffs, and three games in, we kind of already know. Oh, yeah, no, no, we know. Uh, I, I don't think there's a Kachuk available this, this offseason. Yeah, and Brady's pretty in, entrenched, I would say, in Ottawa. Um, but, yeah, I, okay, so, like, what if we're talking about a, a deal of, of one of the core four guys that doesn't net you a, tr- a return that's as obvious as, like, hey, I mean, Uberto had a 100-point season, but Matt Kachuk was clearly a great, great player. I don't know if, if the Flames thought he would be a Hart Trophy candidate, which he was this year, and, and a guy who's, uh, I guess, a Conn Smythe candidate as well. Like, what if that's not the deal? Like, what if, like, on paper you're trading? Like, do you do you pull off a trade of one of the core four for the sake of a trade? Now, not, like, tr- intentionally try to get worse, but, like, something, Sean, that is, like... It's quite possible, and everybody knowing that you're over a barrel here, that you're not able to extract uh, what you would expect a a value in trading one of those pieces. Well, I mean, my answer to that is I don't accept the premise. I I don't buy this idea that if you're going to trade a core piece, that you just have to start from the standpoint of, well, we're we're not going to get anything near the same value back. I've had people, uh, you know, come to me on Twitter and comment sections and that going, well, you're going to be trading these guys for 60 cents on the dollar. Okay, well, it says who? I mean, the Florida Panthers didn't trade their guys for 60 cents on the dollar, and you're right. I mean, a Matthew Kachuk isn't available every summer, but he was available last summer. Did the Toronto Maple Leafs even pick up the phone? Did they even have that conversation? Or did they just decide, you know what, no, we're not going to do it. There there are guys out there all the time that are at least potentially available. And if it's really true that, hey, if you're going to trade any of these core guys, it's just not possible to get anything approaching equal value. It's not possible to get anything that's going to make you better. It is by definition going to mean you have to take a step back. 
Well, you know, I, I just finished saying what a smart guy I think Kyle Dubas is, but if that's the reality, then maybe I'm wrong, and maybe this job is just too tough, and, uh, you know, we, we, should, uh, we should just throw up our hands and say, I guess there's nothing you can do. I, I don't buy that. We've been sold that by a lot of the GMs in this league, that their job is just so difficult, and, they, boy, you just can't trade because if there's a salary cap in this league. Um, I don't buy it. And I do think that, hey, if, if Kyle Dubas is as smart as I think he is, or if whoever replaces him is as smart as will be sold, uh, they will potentially at least be able to go and find some of these big, bold moves without immediately starting from a place of saying, well, we're going to lose the trade anyway, so why even bother? <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's a bad attitude to have. How, how, do, how do you know you're going out and getting somebody who's not going to fit right back in and, and not going to also fade in the postseason? How do we know what to look for here, Sean? I got out. We need to we need to find and listen. They, they've at the deadline added uh, players with postseason pedigree. Now, granted, uh, Ryan O'Reilly not in the middle of his prime, but yeah, as a con Smythe wasn't forever ago. What uh, three four years ago? Uh, how, how do you, how do you avoid making the same mistakes? I, I mean, that that is a great question, and I think part of it is maybe that as much as I have liked a lot of what they've done at the deadlines over the years, and, and obviously the Ryan O'Reilly deal felt like a great fit, it is a little bit tough to airlift these guys in at the very end. I mean, yeah. right now, there is a reason that you know the, the Ryan O'Reilly trade happened, and everybody loved it. Everybody was very excited, but nobody said, oh, now there's a core five up front. We didn't say that because we still knew it was still these four guys. It's their team. And if you want to put Morgan Riley in that group as well, you can do that. But nobody looked at it and said Ryan O'Reilly is now right next to all those guys on the court. He was still a supporting cast sort of guy because he's just coming in late. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as what player do you go and get, how do you make sure it doesn't happen again, I I, I would love to know. Uh, I would love to know what is going on in that room. I would love to hear what these players are saying when they get a chance at these exit interviews. They've had lots of practice. They've got to be really good at them by now. Um, I'd love to find out what uh, what the message is there. Uh, and, you know, my answer is I don't know exactly what it is that you need, but at some point uh, the old cliche about in- insanity being doing the same thing over again and expecting mm-hmm. a different result, you can't possibly run it back with this group if it ends the way that it sure looks like it's going to end here. Uh, if we judge by his performance at the World Juniors, Conor Bedard is a, is a postseason performer, Sean. Uh, the, the NHL draft lottery tonight at 8 o'clock on Sportsnet. What's, what's the ideal lottery ping pong ball scenario for you? Boy, you know, it's uh, there, there's a lot of ways that it could go that would be interesting. I do think, you know, Anaheim's kind of the the best of the relatively harmless destinations, you know, like, I mean, I think a lot of us, we don't want to see Chicago. Chicago's already been, uh, uh, you know, had all their Stanley Cups yeah. uh, for, for a generation. I know up here in Canada, look, none of us cheer for each other, so nobody wants to see it be Montreal or, you know, Vancouver or anything like that. Um, but I, I think to some extent, look, the Columbus Blue Jackets, long-suffering fan base, have never really had that great guy to, to cheer on. You'd like that to an extent, but if I was an accountant in the NHL's marketing department, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want uh, that destination. Um, Anaheim's kind of kind of that that perfect fit where it's a good market. Uh, you can go out there. You know, you can be in California. You can be a star out there. San Jose would work too, um, but yet he's not going to be too too threatening to anyone. I don't know. Maybe you don't want him in that West Coast time zone, but. Uh, uh, he's this guy's going to be an absolute stud no matter where he goes. And uh, hey, if we're lucky, maybe Arizona wins, and then we can all do the Connor Bedard for Austin Matthews Dude. trade talk for the next uh, two months. <laughs> yeah, I okay. You can't just leave it out there like a hanging Chad. But, okay, <laughs> Sean, you're you're okay. It happened. 
the the Coyotes, do they won the lottery. Your your finger is hovering over the button. Do you consummate that trade one for one? One hundred percent. Yes. If I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs, I do. And I say this, I'm not knocking Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is the the best player I have seen play for the Leafs. Probably in my lifetime, maybe on his best night, Doug Gilmore in the playoffs could uh, could top him, but that's it. But, yeah, you give me Connor Bedard, a guy who's as close to a guaranteed stud, 18 years old, entry-level contract, seven years of team control, absolutely. I'm, I'm making that trade for, for any established veteran in this league, probably who isn't Connor McDavid. Uh, and Austin Matthews, unfortunately, so far has not been Connor McDavid. All right, build the team out of Connor Bedard and Matthew Nyes. Now you got a team, Sean. There we go. <laughs> Thanks for this, Sean. Appreciate it. Right on. Thanks for having me. Sean McIndoe, Uh, You know him as Down Goes Brown, hockey writer for The Athletic. Again, uh, NHL draft lottery goes at 8 o'clock tonight. It's uh, one of those big prizes like uh, we had in 2015 when the Toronto Maple Leafs won the right to select Austin Matthews. He's been a great, great Toronto Maple Leaf for the better part of a decade ever since, starting right out of the gates with the four goals. Um, and he's had some postseason moments, but the overall postseason success, I don't have to tell you, has not followed. Um, when we come back, the success has, has found the Toronto Blue Jays after a lot of failure in Boston. Get swept in four games by the Red Sox and then go to Pittsburgh, sweep the Pirates and get some great starting pitching performances. Hey, Brandon Belt is no longer a corpse. He's alive. As is Dalton Varsho. Uh, day off today before a two-game set in Philly tomorrow. We'll talk to Dan Schulman next as uh, Blue Jays off to a, a great start at 21-14. and 14. It is the Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis. This is Sportsnet 590 The Fan. We're also live on Sportsnet 360.